All right, pop your Bible open. We'll, uh, we'll do Psalm 63, if you want to pop that open. 63. 63. We had a suggestion for a couple Psalms that sort of followed up on Psalm 51. Um, and Psalm 3 and Psalm 63 were the two suggestions. We'll do Psalm 63 because it's a bit longer um, and might, might prove a little more helpful, okay? How's everybody doing? Everybody okay? Anything new? Mary, anything new? Uh-oh. Betty, what do you think of the room right now? They, what do you think of the room right now? They just keep talking. <laughs> this is how it is when I'm at home, though. Everybody just talks over me. <laughs> That's right. Okay, here we go. Psalm 63. All right, all right. Here we go. <laughs> you know who was extraordinarily rowdy this week was the Joy Group. Who was there? Donna, where are you? You weren't there. You might have been able to save us. It, yeah, it must have been. I mean, literally, they would not stop talking. I almost quit in the middle. No, I'm, were you there? Oh, yeah, you were there. Shoot, I forgot. Yes, that's right. There was one, one group over in the corner who I think was playing poker. I mean, they had money out and cards out, and I'm talking, and they're talking. And I can see Carol Tony's in the back who had suggested the topic looking at me like, get a hold of this group because we're not doing anything. Uh, it is what it is, you know, when people are young and when people are, get a bit older, they just, what does St. Paul say? When I was a child, I acted like a child. I became a man, I acted like a man, now I'm an old man and I act like a child. Is that what he said? Something like that. All right, Psalm 63, what does it say there in your Bible as sort of the title of Psalm 63? Do you have one there? I don't. Do you have one there? When Israel was in Egypt land, let my people go. In the desert of Judah. Okay, what do you think he's doing in the desert? Yeah, uh, you know, David's life, unfortunately, uh, is, uh, have you ever seen Man vs. Wild? That's David, okay? Man vs. Wild, or what's the other one where the guy actually films himself? Survivor Man. Now, from what I've heard, Man vs. Wild isn't, isn't very honest or truthful because I hear every night he goes to a hotel. Now, that's what I heard. I, listen, my brother-in-law knows more about pop culture than I'll ever know, and that's what he says. He goes to a, he's got connections. So all I can say is, man, well, I looked scruffy yesterday too. I didn't shave, and I came in to what your husband said, are you ever going to shave again? So guess what I did when I went home for lunch? Went to the gym, went home, and... Shaved. I said, get off my back now. We're all squared up, though. Um, so yes, David's a bit like the guy from Man vs. Wild, Bear Grylls, or whatever his name is. Or Survivor Man may be better, because he's usually by himself. He doesn't have a crew with him. Um, but he's always fleeing someone. And obviously, he's fleeing someone. Why? What did he do? What's David's great sin? Yeah. Yeah, he, he slept with another man's wife, right? Um, so his whole, his whole life is sort of a life of uh, fleeing evil people who would destroy him. Now the question is, um, 
Well, it's interesting, at least, that David is always sort of paying the consequences for his sin. And I think this is a fascinating, a fascinating uh, look at what we did a couple weeks ago. You remember the circle of, sort of the circle of redemption. We talked about this on Sunday a bit. How does it go? Do you remember? New life, sin, repentance, mercy, forgiveness, restitution, or maybe a Lutheran understanding of penance, okay? And then back to new life again, and this is the progression. So David has sinned, uh, he's repented, Psalm 51, created me a clean heart, he's done this, the Lord's been merciful, the Lord's forgiven him, and yet he's still out in the desert. Why is that? Because he's still paying for his sin. And I, also, I said to someone this morning as we we're sitting up in the sanctuary, um, it's interesting that we don't actually always do what David does. Either we do one of two things. So David sort of always tries to move forward. We either um, stay put or ignore the consequences. Okay? These are two things David doesn't do. David's always on the move, right? He's always on to the next thing. He's trying to come free of this. And yet he realizes there's consequence for sin. If you rob a bank, you're not forgiven unless you take the money back. Right? Um, and this is, you know, you think we don't hear these sorts of things. I've heard these things many times where people say, I've done this, to which I say, if you're not ready to go back and make wrongs right, then really you can't get to the forgiveness point because you've not repented. David's come all the way through this, and yet he's still fleeing. How come his problems don't stop when he's forgiven? Say it. Go ahead. Well, yeah, he's still a sinner, but how come the problem, the sins he's been forgiven of, how come those problems don't stop? Well, yes, it takes a long time. Um, well, either here's the thing: either way, his life is a life of sin. So he's fleeing somebody. Um, now, Psalm 51. Psalm 51 does have connections to. Um, I mean, the timing on these things are very, it's very, yeah, exactly. Like, when exactly did he write it? Before, after, you don't always know. However, what you do know is David's life is always, this is the reason David is David, is always a life of sin and repentance, okay? Um, but why, let's just, let's for the moment say this sin is the sin of adultery. Let's just pick that sin. How come he can't come free of the consequences? God's trying to restore him. Maybe he doesn't forgive himself. That could be. What else, though? Yeah. It's as simple, yeah, it's as simple as the consequences don't always just stop with forgiveness. Right? I mean, uh, you pick, pick any sin you want. Just because you've forgiven doesn't mean the consequences end. That's one thing I think we as Lutherans misunderstand. And we talked about this two weeks ago where we talked about sort of being covered with God's grace. We think that when you're forgiven sort of, you don't have to worry about anything else. It all just stops, right? Well, it doesn't stop. If you have an affair and your wife says, I forgive you, guess what? Your marriage will never be the same. There are consequences. Uh, and there are consequences even in the church relationally. If you, if you lie about me and then you say, I'm sorry I lied, and I say, I forgive you, guess what? You may be forgiven, 
but I'm not going to. It'd be hard for me to trust you, <laughs> right? I mean, this just this is just normal human human behavior, and it's the consequences for sin. So what David doesn't do is he doesn't stay put in his sin. He actually tries to move forward, and he doesn't ignore the consequences. He's always praying that the Lord pulls him free of the consequences to his sin. I said to this person this morning, I think we have a trouble with both of these. We either stay put, we don't want to move forward, or we ignore the consequences. If I just say I'm sorry, it's all going to be okay. Guess what? An apology is different than confession. What's an apology? I'm sorry, right, yeah, I'm sorry. What's a confession? I did these 12 things, and I'm very sorry. Apologies alone don't get the job done. <laughs> Little kids are very good. When I say to Emma, what do you say to mommy? It's very easy for her to say, I'm sorry. And then I often say to her, what did you do? Now, here's the thing. They also know what they did. I talk back to mommy. I, you know, every kid can make a, make a confession at some point. But apologies alone don't get the job done. It's apology with a confession. You have to be specific. This is what I said on Sunday. You sin in specifics. You're forgiven in specifics. So you make confession in specifics. So it's not specific sin, a general apology, and specific forgiveness. If you lie, the way you are forgiven is you say, I'm sorry I lied about A, B, C, and D. Please forgive me. That makes sense? Now what you have to see is the consequences don't end. Relationships, once they're broken, can never, ever be exactly the same. They can't. The only time they'll be the same is when you get back to Eden and you sort of forget about all the stuff that happened this side of Eden. But relationships will never be the same. And that's why... Uh, it's, that's why <laughs> That's why Jesus calls the relationship between Christ and the church a marriage, right? So if you sin against the Lord, it's like sinning in a marriage. There are some sins you can sort of just sweep under the rug. Sorry I didn't take the trash out. But there are some sins that change the marriage forever. That's precisely what Jesus talks about when he says our relationship is like a marriage. If you sin against Christ or others in the marriage uh, in a very dramatic way, it'll never be the same. And unfortunately, David understands that. And I say unfortunately because he's got to live with the consequences. Okay? Now that's sort of the setup for Psalm 63. Let's just, uh, let's just read it one time, and then I've got a couple more questions to ask, and then we'll see what we can do. Psalm 63. O God, thou art my God, I seek thee early with a heart that thirsts for thee, and a body wasted with longing for thee, like a dry and thirsty land that has no water. So longing I come before thee in the sanctuary to look upon thy power and glory. Thy true love is better than life. Therefore I will sing thy praises, and so I bless thee all my life, and in thy name lift up my hands in prayer. I am satisfied as with a rich and sumptuous feast, and wake the echoes with my praise. When I call thee to mind upon my bed and think on thee in the watches of the night, remembering how thou hast been my help, and that I am safe in the shadow of thy wings. Then I humbly follow thee with all my heart, and thy right hand is my support. Those who seek my life bent on evil shall sink into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the sword. They shall be food for jackals. The king shall rejoice in God, and whoever swears by God's name shall exult. The voice of falsehood 
shall be silenced. Okay? Now, uh, ultimately, <laughs> this is one of the few instances in the, in the Psalms, uh, well, all the Psalms in some sense are a prayer, but this is a very, uh, a very specific prayer, and it's a prayer that comes at what part of the day, the beginning or the end, do you think? Okay, keep going. <laughs> if it's not true, it's false. It's not at the end, it's at the beginning. Okay, good. Baby steps, baby steps. This is a prayer. This is one of, I think there are about six prayers in the Psalms which are specifically morning prayers. Uh, and this is specifically a prayer at dawn. It begins, O God, thou art my God, I seek thee early with a heart that thirsts for thee and a body wasted with longing for thee. And in the church, this is typically prayed on Sunday morning before the Eucharist. And that's very important. We'll get to that in a few minutes. But let me just ask you, what is the ultimate purpose of prayer? What's the purpose of prayer? Okay, good. I thought you'd say that. Not you, but I thought someone would say that. That's good. What else? If you had to say what prayer is, what would you say? Communication with God. Anything else? Yeah. That's good. Okay, what else? Anything else? You had to talk about prayer. Yeah. Good. Uh, so let's see. It. Uh, let's just say. Let's just say it's the Lord's work too. It's the Lord's work. Okay. What else? That's a long one. Did you just say praise and thanksgiving? Did you say praise and thanksgiving just a second ago? Praise and worship. I don't know if I can write all that up there. Let's just pretend we all. It's on the board. Say it one more time. <laughs> Let's just say Eucharistia. I got a bumper sticker for you. Oh, good. All right. All right. So it's Thanksgiving. Good. What else? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's just say relationship. Is that okay? That's getting close. Anything else? Yeah. Yep. Yes. So it's saying back to the Lord what he's already said to you. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah, right. We always give to the new members. I want a pony, give me a pony. I want a pony, give me a pony. I want a pony, give me a pony. That's prayer for most people. If prayer begins, Lord, we just want to, you know it's not going to go well. Or, let Lord, just let us thank you. Or, Lord, I just want a pony. I just want a Lord, you are so good. Yeah, winning lottery ticket. You ever seen uh, Meet the Parents? You've seen Meet the Parents? Oh, I learn something new about you every day. Do you like that movie? Good. 
guy's name? Not, not Fred. What's his name? Uh, Greg. Yeah, that, well, yeah, I was a farmer. Where at? In Detroit. What did you milk? Cats. <laughs> Could you milk me, Greg? <laughs> All right. Oh, sorry. <laughs> What's so funny? I'm just trying to relate to the crowd. Betty, you haven't seen this, have you? Okay, good. Uh, yeah, you've seen that, though, you know, where he says, Lord, three things I pray. You even see this in the liturgy sometimes. People pray. To love thee more dearly, to serve thee more clearly, to know thee more whatever. Sincerely, Lord, three things I pray. Amen. <laughs> okay? Sometimes that's what prayer looks like. What else? You had one over here. Carol? <laughs> yeah. Yeah? Right, so that would go with sort of the Lord's work and recitation of the promises, right? Yeah. So. Sly. Really? So you, okay, good. Yeah? So I don't quite know what you're saying. Do you like to be put in your place? No, I didn't think so. I love you, though. Puts, uh, yeah, does anybody? Puts us in our place. Yeah, remind you who you are and where you stand. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah, oh, yeah, obviously forgiveness. Uh, you know, and you see that um, chiefly in the Our Father, right? How many, what do your prayers look like? If you prayed every day, I hope you all pray every day. hope you pray a couple times a day. Obviously, um, you know, the ancient way is at least morning and night. Um, and then, you know, folks sort of constructed hours to prayers. But what do your prayers often look like? What, what shape do they take? Okay. Yeah. That's good. That's a good way to start. Now, when you pray, do you have communion with God when you pray in the same way that you have communion with God when you come to church and hear the readings? You come to the Eucharist and you're baptized. No, it's, there are no trick questions. Nope. <laughs> Although I do understand your point. Then your prayers. Yes. Why do you think, Jeanette? Keep going. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, right. Actually, that wasn't where I was going at all. No, it wasn't at all, actually. Actually, I didn't even have confession on my breath. I wasn't even thinking about that. 
Exactly. Here's the thing. You're talking about a different thing, but we're trying to make the same point. The point is, prayer is communion with God. Prayer is communion with God. And I don't think we often think about it that way. We think about it as something we need to do, uh, a chance for us to confess, a chance for us to ask what we want. We don't think of prayer as actual communion with Jesus. And it's strange that the first thing you said was communication, which is communion through words, right? I mean, this is very important in the psalm and in our life together, that words actually bring communion between the speaker and the one spoken to. So when you pray, you're not just praying to ask for things. You're not just praying to even uh, recite the promises, though that's part, those are all parts of it. But the reason you pray is to have communion with God. And obviously then to your question, which is really not where I was going, but if you have communion with God, then you can confess your sins and know you're all squared up, right? Which is why even things like, well, this is why in the church, Matthew 18 is the Jesus way. What does Matthew 18 involve? If you've got a beef, what do you do? What's the first thing it says? Go to the person and do what? You don't text them. You don't Facebook them. You don't write them an email. You go to them and speak. Speak. Because speaking brings communion between the speaker and the one spoken to. Right? This is why, I mean, you could write a whole doctoral dissertation on how Facebook has ruined the living voice of Jesus in the church. Believe me, I don't disagree with Facebook, but it is utterly subhuman. There's no voice. Okay, there's no voice. Emails, there's no voice. There's a reason why writing, even like writing a card, has more of a voice than posting something on Facebook in the third person and talking about yourself. Josh is very tired today. That is so stupid. <laughs> you know? Why can't you just talk in the first person? I'm very tired today. It's just odd. Hey, Martha. So prayer is communion with God. You have to begin to think that way. That when you pray, this is why prayer is so important. It's a chance for you to actually come into communion with the flesh of Jesus. Okay? Because it's not just, there's not just, you know, an inbox on the other end that's waiting for your requests. There's a man with an ear who sits at the right hand of his father who's listening to your prayers. And this is very important for David, because David knows that when he prays, he has communion with the one who listens. Okay? This is very important. So, and you remember, well, here's the other thing. I know, you know, I know those of you who are old Lutherans, which I am too, not old, but I've been a Lutheran a long time. Uh, any talk of sort of desiring God sort of in our nature, that even the pagan who walks the street deep down has some desire for God. I know that's foreign, because we often talk about how you're dead to sin. I get all of that. But you're also created in the image. And at the fall, the image is not destroyed. The image is marred. The image is broken, but the image isn't lost. So every human being, regardless if they're Christian or not, has some desire for God. And you see this in the prayer, because what the psalmist is saying is, I desire to be in communion with you. And this is this is N.T. Wright. What does every human being desire? Justice, spirituality, beauty, and community. This is St. Augustine. Our hearts are restless until they rest in you, he says. Okay? So what St. Augustine, what David is saying is, 
We're restless until we have communion with God. Now, communion with God can come in a variety of ways. The Eucharist obviously is the most tangible communion. That's why it's called the Holy Communion, the koinonia. The liturgy, baptism, but also your daily prayers. When you wake up and make the sign of the cross, says Luther, and you say your prayers in the morning, and you say your prayers at night, you're actually coming into communion with God. Why? Because you speak and he listens. Okay? You speak and he listens. I mean, this is how, in life, in your own, think about your own marriages if you're married. If you just, what's the number one problem with married couples? They don't communicate. Now, they all come in and yell at each other and say, we're not communicating. You look at them and say, oh, you're communicating. (laughs) It may not be helpful communication, but you're communicating. The number one problem with couples is they don't communicate. The number one problem with Christians is they don't communicate with each other and with God. That's what the psalm is all about. Okay? You okay, Jeanette? Love you. And I really wasn't talking about confession. (laughs) You're right. Your sins can be forgiven there too. Not more efficacious, but sometimes more helpful to the person who confesses. But that's for a different time. Okay. O God, thou art my God, I seek thee early with a heart that thirsts for thee. What does yours say there? I seek thee early with a... With a what? With a soul. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, so I seek you earnestly with a soul. Now just listen to this. I seek thee earnestly with a soul that thirsts for you and a body. Now, isn't this fascinating? So those of you who are Gnostics, how many of you are Gnostics? Raise your hand. Good. Nobody raised their hand. Those of you who are Gnostics, who think it's all about having a personal relationship with Jesus, oh, he's warmed my soul and he's redeemed my soul, guess what? It's not just about your soul. It's about your body. That's why the psalmist says, with a soul that thirsts for thee and a body wasted with longing for thee, the entire person of David is longing to be in communion with Jesus. Like a dry and thirsty land that has no water. That should remind you of Ezekiel and the dry bones, right? You remember the Ezekiel and dry bones story? What was the the problem with the dry bones? He says two things about them. They are dry. Yeah, they're dry and they're dead. Now it's interesting because what does he do to make the bones alive? Yes, he speaks. He speaks the spirit. Flesh comes to him. If you're dry, you need what? you're in Haiti and you're under a house for two weeks, how how do you survive? You drink bath water. If you're dry, you need water. If you're dead, you need the spirit. Water and spirit remind you of baptism. That's what David's talking about. I'm dry. I'm longing for you. I'm dead. It's no different than the dry bones. So longing, I come before thee in the sanctuary. That's the holy of holies, right? to look upon thy power and glory. Thy true love is better than life. How would you define love? How would you define love? Love. Love. If I say I love you, Betty, what does that mean? (laughs) Okay, don't say it. Don't say it. No, no, don't say it. Let's pick someone else. Okay, if you say to Jen Cole, I love you, what does that mean? Yeah, that, okay. good, I accept you, that's part of it. Yeah, that's good. 
Got it. Yep. When you meet couples about to be married, is their love emotional or action? It's utterly emotional. Oh, I love this person. To which I say in every wedding sermon, which just, you know, upsets the mother of the bride, because she's thinking, I've paid $27,000 for this, and you get up in the pulpit and say that. I often say, there's going to be some morning when you're going to wake up, roll over, and look at the person and say, what the have I done? <laughs> I mean, is there ever... Now, this back group, they're not laughing. Jeanette's thinking, you know, <laughs> okay, yeah, you don't have to do that anymore. That's a different question. We'll talk about that later, okay? Different issues, but all forgiven, too. Okay, there's sometimes in life, you know this from your own marriages, obviously not mine. Mine is perfect, but uh, you all know this from your marriages, that there's a time when your love will maybe not be there, <laughs> Or, yeah, it could wait. It could wait or it could not. I mean, there are lots of people come in and say, we don't love each other anymore. So what do you say to someone who comes in and says, I don't love them anymore? It's not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's not like heartburn. It just goes away and it comes back. Oh, I kind of, my heart's strangely warm. It's not like that. Love is action. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great Lutheran, and I give this to all the couples in the premarital counseling, he, say, he, has, he writes this, I've probably told you this before. He writes this wedding sermon from prison. So he's locked up in Germany. Someone had asked him to preach at their wedding. He couldn't do it. He was in prison. So like John the Baptizer, he writes the sermon and sends it off so someone else can read it at the wedding. Because what they want is Bonhoeffer's voice, right? They want his voice, and his voice comes in what he's written. But he has a great line where he says to this couple, love doesn't sustain your marriage but marriage sustains your love. Now the point is, don't get married just because you think you love each other. Because your love may wade, it may fail, it may go away completely, it may stop, who knows. But what makes you married, what keeps you together, is the fact that the Lord has said, I now pronounce you husband and wife. It's no different in the church. Okay, It's no different in the church. You may find other people, this is again why Jesus says in Ephesians 5, Lo, I tell you a mystery, I'm referring to Christ in the church. That's marriage. There's times in your life where you say, I don't love that person, I don't like that person. Guess what? We're all in this together. We're all in this together. You can say of the church, love doesn't sustain your marriage, marriage sustains your love. It's the same thing with the Lord. Are there ever times when you wake up and say, I can't believe he's doing that? Or Yeah, the chuckle says it all. I can't believe the Lord's letting this happen. There are times, and I can remember vividly, the person who sits right here, she's no longer a member of the congregation, she said, there's never been a time where I've been mad at the Lord. To which I said, then you don't really know the Lord. Because if you know the Lord, guess what? There are going to be times when he says, go right, and you're going to say, I really don't want to go right. And he says, you better go right because that's what's best for you. It's like your kids. Emma's new line is, you can share my life. That's what she says. So when she really is like having a good day, she says to me, Daddy, you can share my life. She's three. I don't know where she gets it from. MTV, we just let her watch whatever she wants these days. Give her the remote. It's very, but then when she gets mad, what does she say? You can't share my life. Now here's the thing, at the end of the day, she knows I'm the only one besides her mom who can take care of her. But she's mad. She doesn't like me. Right? But what puts us together is the fact that we're family. 
It's the same thing with David here. Thy true love, the fact that the Lord has acted, verse 3, is better than life. I'd rather die than lose your action in my life. I mean, begin to think about it that way. We think, oh, that person looked at me crossways. They don't like me. I want them gone. Guess what? You should want more than life to be community. You should want more than life to be good to one another. That's what David says. Your love is better than life itself. Therefore, I will sing thy praises. And I so bless thee all my life. And in thy name lift up my hands in prayer. That's great, because remember, the only prayers that are answered are prayers that are done in the name. I am satisfied as with a rich and sumptuous feast. You should be thinking Eucharist here. And wake the echoes with thy praise. When I call thee to mind upon my bed and think on thee in the watches of the night, remembering how thou hast been my help and that I am safe in the shadow of thy wings, then I humbly follow thee with all my heart and thy right hand is my support. That's like, I don't know about you. You ever had kids who don't want to go to bed? <laughs> yeah. Every night at my house doesn't want to go to bed. Why doesn't she want to go to bed? Might miss something. That's part of it. Usually it's, Daddy, I'm not tired. Well, who wouldn't? I mean, come on. <laughs> okay, well, I know where you stand. <laughs> Why do kids not want to go to bed? Yeah, it's partly because they don't want to miss something. They want to stay awake. They. Yeah, exactly. Why else? Yeah, so your kid. Yeah, exactly. So let's just pretend you're afraid of the dark or the noises outside or going to bed. What do you say to your kids before they go to sleep then? Or what did you say if you had kids? Some of you just, you know, locked the door and said, don't come out. Some of you. <laughs> yeah, Jesus will take care of you. What else? Yep. Yep. Yeah, you, every kid's got to go. Remember, Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew of little children, their angels do always behold the face of their Father in heaven. So what, what that means is every kid's got an angel who's always before the face of the Father, right? So everybody's got an angel. Good, so your guardian angel's watching over you. What else? <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I understand. I... <laughs> Good. What else? I often say to Emma, I'll come back and check on you in 10 minutes, because I know in six minutes she's going to be sound asleep. But often I say, what do you say to Audrey? Yes, right. And so, yep. Yeah. Emma now loves to have, there's this crucifix in her bedroom that she always wants to have in her bed with her because she feels safe. Well, that's what you want. But I even say to kids sometimes, or to Emma, think about all the great things you're going to do tomorrow. Have some happy thoughts. Like, what are all the fun things you did? Because what she doesn't want to do is close her eyes because she thinks she's going to have bad thoughts. So you say, think about all the fun things you did today. You got to go to school, and you had lunch, and you came home and played with the dog. And what are you going to do tomorrow? You're going to school, and you're going to see your friends. Think about all the fun things you're going to do. Think about all the joyous things you're going to do, and that will help you fall asleep. Guess what? David says, When I call thee to mind upon my bed and think on thee in the watches of the night, remembering how thou hast been my help 
and that I am safe in the shadow of thy wings. All he's doing is remembering all the fun things the Lord's done for him. I was about to die, and you gave me a cave to sleep in. You know, they were chasing after me, and you made me run a little faster. Lord, it's all going to be okay. No matter what the night brings, I'm going to be fine because I have all these good memories of what you've done for me. Okay, to be faithful is just to remember. Now, this is where it gets fascinating. Look at verse 9. Those who seek my life, bent on evil, mine says. Bent on evil. Now, what does yours say there? Say that again, uh, Jan. What did you have? Yeah, I think literally it says, those who seek my life to destroy it. So those who, those who seek his life, David's life, to destroy David's life. So those are evil people chasing after David. Or as mine says, those who seek my life bent on evil. Bent on evil. What does that, make, what does that remind you of? I don't actually know what it reminds me of. That's why I'm asking. It's not a trick question, I promise. A stick. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep going. Good. It's bent. It's a stick. It's not straight. What happens when you bend a stick? It's going to break. Well, that's okay. Good. Yeah, some are meant to bend, like a bow and arrow, right? If you bend a stick too far, it's going to break. So the more you're bent on evil, eventually there comes a point where the, where the evil will break you. Yeah, um, and this is, you know, either you break evil or evil breaks us. Those are your choices. You break evil or evil breaks you, okay? Now, it's fascinating because it also says literally there, not those who seek my life. This is, this is amazing. Those who show concern for my life is one of the alternate readings. And this is from the, you know, from the Hebrew. Those who show concern for my life, bent on evil. Now, have you ever had someone who you know has been caught up in all the wrong stuff? And they come to you and say, not, well, sometimes they just talk about you, and that's one thing. But people who you know have been caught up in evil, and they come to you and say, I'm really concerned for you. I'm really concerned. Now, by showing concern, what are they trying to do? Act like they care. Win you over. Um, this has even happened with, well, this has even happened with my own wife, where people come to her and say, I'm concerned for your husband. Okay? I'm concerned for your husband, right? Now, this is interesting, because the psalm says, those who show concern for my life, is it a true concern? No. Yes, they want to diagnose. They don't want to help. What do these enemies of David want to do with him? They show concern for his life because if they're the enemies, who will he begin to trust? Them and not, not the Lord. Now, this happens all the time in the church. You see this. In fact, it's, it's actually scary. I think it's almost demonic. We put all these new members who are, are they the weakest or the strongest in the church? The weakest, right? We put them out in the congregation, and it's fascinating. It's like chum in the water to see who attacks. But when they come, it's not, by God, you'll never believe what these guys have done. It's, why don't you come over for dinner? 
I want to help take care of you. They show concern for my life, it says, bent on evil. They show concern for my life to try and destroy it. Now, when you have people in a congregation who come up to new members and say, just let's go out for coffee and say, I'm really concerned for you because you know you were in the new member class and this is an awkward thing and there's a lot, do you know what you're getting yourself into? What ultimately do they want? To turn them against the pastors and the church and all of you. Right? You see how this, I mean, this couldn't be more apropos, this song. Those who show concern for my life, bent on evil, about to break. I mean, this is sort of a last-ditch effort. Let's see what we can do. Bent on evil to destroy it shall sink into the depths of the earth. That's scary. Now, David doesn't say, I'm going to send them into the depths of the earth. He says, they shall sink. Right? They'll sink themselves. (laughs) This is like someone who does not steer a boat. Right? Boom. You'll sink yourselves. They shall be given over to the sword. They shall be food for jackals. That's very graphic. Because who's the, who's the jackal? Satan. They shall be food for jackals. Meaning, at some point, evil will destroy them. The king shall rejoice in God. The king is? Ultimately, it's going to be David, right? The king shall rejoice in God. And whoever swears by God's name shall exult. Now, what does yours say next? From the mouth and the mouths of liars shall be silenced or shall be shut up. Mine says, and those who speak falsehood shall be silenced. So the ultimate sin then, the sin which is bent on evil and shows concern for others, is what sin? Lying. Lying. If you kill somebody, you're showing no concern. But if you lie to somebody, it might appear to be concern. Lying is the great sin. And it's interesting because lying often occurs with words. It's anti-communion with God. So when you pray, you speak the truth. This is why you recite back what the Lord has said to you. Praying with God is communion with God because you speak the truth. When you lie, you're not speaking the truth, and it actually breaks communion with God, with yourself, and with everybody else. It's sort of the subhuman version of communication. Exactly right, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah, this suddenly, uh, the ignoring the consequences become very easy (laughs) with words. Because sometimes there aren't any consequences. Because it's between you and two or three other people. The consequences of words usually aren't felt for about six or eight months. Because then what happens? Bishop shows up. Guess what I heard? You have to pay people to come in and tell you what's wrong. Guess what we heard? 
the consequences often are delayed, and the problem is if they're delayed that long, sometimes they actually can't be fixed. Right? They can't be fixed. It's like if you haven't, I mean, I hate to use this analogy, but it really is the best because this is what Jesus says to the church. It's like if you have sort of an ongoing affair, it's, it's one thing to, have an, to make a mistake and to tell your spouse, I'm very sorry I did this. It's another thing to say, I've had an affair for seven years and I've got a whole other family. <laughs> you chuckle? There are people like this. The problem is, guess how long that takes to fix? A lot longer than saying, I was in Vegas for a bachelor party and made a mistake. It takes a lot longer to square up because you've established a relationship, you've established communication, you've actually established another family. That's precisely what happens when you lie. Make sense? I don't know who chose this psalm, but thanks so much. (laughs) The king shall rejoice in God, and whoever swears by God's name shall exalt. The voice of those who speak lies shall be silenced. The voice of those who speak lies shall be silenced. Any questions so far? I mean, this is pretty cut and dry. And, I, and at, at some point, you know, at some point, um, at some point we can't be here. We can't just be staying put. At some point as a congregation, we have to say, and I don't know when that point's going to be, although I think it's, it's, you know, it's coming soon. At some point we have to say, those who have stayed put and ignored the consequences are going to have to stay there and we've got to keep going. I mean, this is like, when Jesus says, the poor you will always have with you, it's very true. You're always going to have people like this in your midst. You pray for them fervently. You try to forgive them. You want to square it all up. But you can't stop everything to stay here. If you've got a family of you know, six people and one kid doesn't want to go on vacation, you still put him in the car and drive on vacation. Right? He may be screaming, but you say, you know what? We're a family, and we're moving on. If you always stopped your family for your weakest kid, you'd never do anything. So all of that has to translate over to the church. It's the same thing with a business, right? If you, stop your, if you stop your business for your weakest client because he gets upset, you just keep going. I mean, the guy who, the guy who has a contract with you for $5,000 doesn't slow down a process so the guy with a $2 million contract gets slowed down. You've got to keep carrying on. And the prayer is that folks who are stuck here get all the way to here, but ultimately this becomes a holdup too. Because here's the thing, while it doesn't appear at the time that words have power, they have such power that they can destroy entire congregations. And actually to make wrongs right, you have to use your words to speak truth. So for instance, you know, well, hey Tammy. Well, I'll just be honest with you. If you've ever said, Pastor Danick wants to close the school, you should probably go back and tell everyone you told that that's not the truth. Do you need me? Right now? Yes, although can you tell him that um, I'm supposed to have the kids in there to look at the baptismal font at 10.30? He can... He can go, if you can get a hold of Val and tell him we've got a hold up, we can't do it. Tell, I'd rather have him do this. It just happened this morning, essentially. Just get a hold of Val and let her know. That'd be fine. Thanks. Well, that sort of broke the mood. Uh, <laughs> the point is, when you've sinned in such a way, and this can be anything, 
you actually have to go back in order to make restitution, you have to tell everyone you first told the lie to. If it was an email to everybody, you should probably send an email out saying, I didn't tell the truth. Because words have power. Okay? Words have power. And it's a sad thing that words have such power, but guess what? It's also a glorious thing when they're used well. Because words actually bring you into communion with Christ. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and that's where we need to that's where we need to be charitable and helpful with people. Because just to nothing happens by force. So just to say to everybody, you by God better go square it up, that's not gonna work. But when someone comes to you, I mean I can remember on the the AOR night where they came in, I would and actually in some sense it was very revealing. It was it was freeing for me how many people came up and said to me, I'm very sorry, I've told lies about you. Now, great, that's wonderful. But guess what? That only gets you to about right here. Until you get to right here, to actually go back and tell those people what I said wasn't true, you're not up to here. That's the difficult part. Okay, That's the difficult part. And slowly it'll come, but the point of all this is, David keeps moving, we got to keep moving. You pray that people are behind you, that they come up quickly, uh, but you don't slow everything up for the people that can't actually get past this point. Well, you all look stunned. All right. Anything else? You got any questions? When might this be, uh, when might you want to pray this prayer? Think about everything we've talked about. Morning prayer brings you into communion. Uh, it's a sumptuous feast, and it frees you from those who are bent on evil. When might you want to pray this prayer? Before the Eucharist, right? This should be, I would suggest to you, you know, there are tons of psalms. You can pray all the psalms before the Eucharist. This and Psalm probably 121, I will lift up my eyes into the hills from whence does my help come from. Those you might want to pray um, as your pre-Eucharist prayers. You might photocopy it and bring it with you to church and pray it in the pew. You might pray it at home. You might have your kids read it. You might, because what happens is, um, on this side of heaven, the ultimate fulfillment of the longings of David in Psalm 63, the ultimate fulfillment is found at the Eucharist. What David wants, the Eucharist gives. And David didn't have the Eucharist in the same way you do, so you should pray David's words and rejoice in the fact that you have the Eucharist. Okay? What he wants is for God to be there in a sumptuous feast. And he's off in a cave trying to hide from someone. Go ahead. Uh, keep going. For what purpose? Yep. Good. Well, there. Are, I think what you're asking is, is there a way that people in the Old Testament are brought into communion with God? Yep. Yeah, there were. There were purification. But you remember what what uh, what Saint Paul says? They were baptized in the cloud, and they were baptized into Moses. So Moses, you have to see Moses as not the great lawgiver. C.F.W. Walther, the first president of the Missouri Synod, made a fatal mistake once when he said, "If Christ were to have come as another Moses, I wish he would have stayed in heaven." He did come as another Moses, because Moses is the redeemer. He's not just the lawgiver. 
And so in the Old Testament, people were baptized into a cloud. They actually got sort of caught up in a cloud. The cloud followed them, and they were baptized into Moses, their leader. And that was, um, it may not be the Jesus baptism, the one he institutes, but it does the same thing. It brings them into communion with their creator. Yep. For that, it would be circumcision. Yep. Because remember, all circumcision did was made you a member of the kingdom. But there are baptismal overtones all over the place. Even when, they, even when Moses, the redeemer, taps the rock and water comes out. <laughs> so there are overtones. But you have to see all the Old Testament sacrifices, as Luther says, as sacraments. So all of them, including circumcision, bring you into communion with God. That's right. Good question. Anything else? Yes. And likely, if you're, well, I shouldn't say likely. Oftentimes, if you feel detached from God, it's because you're not in the place where God can be found. So what it reminds you is the specificity of God's location. Right? He's in the sanctuary. Because oftentimes people, you know, sort of get detached from church a bit and then say, I don't feel like the Lord's around me. Well, the reason he's not around you is you're not in contact with his gifts. So what the psalmist says is, I want God's presence, and I know where that's found within the sanctuary. But even Christians at times who are very faithful still feel detached. That's exactly right. There's a margin comment in the bulletin this weekend from the week, and I think it says something just like that. Most, most people think with their heart, their emotions, and something else rather than with their head. That's just how we are constructed. But that's not always how the Lord engages people. Um, as you saw here, your love is better than life itself. It's not just an emotion. Because when David's fleeing, somebody's trying to kill him, my guess is he doesn't really know if the Lord loves him a whole lot. <laughs> Like, why don't you put a stop to this? And we do that, too. Why don't you, I mean, I can't tell you how many times we've prayed, you know, put a stop to everything that's going on here. And I think finally we can see that the Lord is beginning to sort it out. But you know he always does it sort of in his time and according to his will. So that's when you just trust his promises. Everybody okay? Yeah. Well, how would you define making amends? Yes, yeah, right. Yep. Restitution's a little broader than that. Um, making amends is usually one-on-one, -on -one, and sometimes restitution is that way too, but oftentimes restitution involves um, going back and looking at specific sins and trying to figure out where those may have hurt people and trying to go back to those people or those places and turn them around. So it's different than sort of me sinning against you and then coming and saying, I'm very sorry, let's make amends. Sometimes my sin has a greater consequence than just on you. It affects everybody at your table. So I actually need to go back and talk to everybody at your table, and that's restitution. You and I can make amends, but restitution involves everybody else. And penance may not be a good way of talking about it, although, because um, it just doesn't sound Lutheran. That's why we chose restitution. But in some sense, that's what it is. You make, you, you, you're penitential. You make penance for your sins, 
not to earn forgiveness. That's why it's after the forgiveness point, but to bring you to the fullness of new life. Exactly. And, but here's the other thing. If your priest said to you, go out and say, you know, the Our Father ten times, he's telling you to go out and pray ten times, which means he's telling you ten times to go and have communion with God, which is actually not a burden but a gift. Right? And to show, yeah, and to doing something is to reinforce what love is. Love is action. <laughs> Anything else? You all okay? What psalm do you want to do next? We can do Psalm 3 if you want, because um, we do have that on the docket. But any others you're sort of dying to do? We did yours, right? We got yours? Good. Anybody else? All right. Um, then we'll do, uh, we'll do Psalm 3 next. I need to turn this off because we've got confession in just a minute upstairs. But we'll do Psalm 3 next. Um, Read through it beforehand and we'll, we'll have some fun, okay?